0: This episode is brought to you by Birthsong Botanicals, whose postpartum herb bath for mom and baby is the perfect way to soothe sore perineal muscles, slow bleeding, minimize swelling, and help dry the newborn's umbilical cord, all while creating a relaxing and restoring bonding experience between mom and baby. Head on over to birthsongbotanicals.com and check out their postpartum herb bath, Common Sense Pregnancy Customers. Get a special 10% discount at checkout when they use the promo code Common Sense. That's two words, lowercase. Hey, everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about. All the issues that affect our lives as women, mothers, parents, fathers, and the people responsible for raising the next generation of citizens on this little old planet of ours. I'm a registered nurse turned writer, author, and podcaster. I worked in labor and delivery for about 20 years, and I've now worked writing about global maternal health, gender equality, U.S. policy, pregnancy, and a whole lot more for about 17 years. There were quite a few years there where I did both gigs, nursing and writing, because you know, that's what parents do, right? We hustle to make ends meet, to be there for our kids, while also preserving valuable childcare dollars. So I worked nights and evenings and day shifts. I wrote on my days off, and I parented every minute of every dang day. And it was hard, but it was worth it. And I frankly don't know any other way for most Families to do it. So that's, you know, some of the stuff we talk about here on the podcast: how parents make it work, how they integrate raising the kids, pursuing careers, making ends meet, while facing huge societal, cultural, and economic hurdles like unaffordable health care, child care, unsupportive workplace policies, and inadequate, inadequate support across the board for parents to do this big job of ours. So we talk about all that and also about. You know, some of the common sense medical information and healthcare information parents need to know when they're pregnant and approaching birth or, you know, they're newly delivered with a brand new baby. Yeah, it's a lot. And we talk about all that. And then some. We also talk about stuff going on in the news and in politics, because there are really direct applications to our lives and our abilities to parent. And there are a couple of articles I read this week on NPR that I thought were super applicable and relevant to us. And uh, let's see, one came out on February 18th, just this last Monday, by Allison Kojak, and the headline reads, um, Scientific Duo Gets Back to Basics to Make Childbirth Safer. And it was an article about a Columbia University obstetrician and a mechanical engineer who are teaming up to study how the cervix works to prevent prematurity. Dr. Joy Sarah Bink is the obstetrician and co-director of the Preterm Birth Prevention Center at Columbia University Medical Center. And Kristen Myers is the Associate Professor of Mechanical Engineering at Columbia who are doing this research. And um, it seems that Vink studies what the cervix is made of, and Myers is trying to determine how it works. And their goal is to be able to examine pregnant women early on to accurately predict whether or not they'll go into premature labor. And it's a first step, Vink hopes, towards better inf- interventions that'll stop premature labor. And she pointed out something real interesting in the article. Um, That I just think is really applicable, really says a lot about where we've been with women's health. Vink says, when it comes to pregnancy, research on some basic questions stalled decades ago. Excuse me again. If a pregnancy is normal, it doesn't matter much. But when things go wrong, those gaps in knowledge become issues of life and death it's mind-boggling that in this day and age, we still don't understand, even in a normal pregnancy, how women go into labor. What triggers labor, Vink says, because we don't understand the normal fundamental mechanisms. We can't identify how things go bad and then how we fix it when things go bad. So um, Myers and Vink are looking at the at cervical tissue, at the cellular and muscular level, and trying to figure out how, why, and when labor starts. What flips the trigger? And if they know what flips it, then, you know, in cases where labor gets triggered too early, then maybe they can figure out how to flip it back off for a while. And to me, this seems like a really great step in the right direction to be looking at labor from mom's side of the story. Most of the study that takes place in maternal health is actually focused on the fetus and fetal conditions, not the mother and maternal conditions. And I love that there are two women studying women's health to better understand how to help women's bodies thrive. And of course, it's going to benefit the baby. I want to thank you both for that. And I'm going to reach out to both of you both to see if I can get you on the podcast to talk about this. So the other piece that I thought was super relevant and interesting was one by Greg Rosalski from last week, uh, February 12th. And it's an excerpt from a Planet Money episode. It's called The Babyless Recovery. And it's about how we're witnessing this uh, huge demographic shift where for the first time in American history, women aged 30 to 34 have the highest fertility rate of all age brackets. Previously, it was women in their 20s, but younger women are having far fewer unintended pregnancies, which accounts for about a third of the overall decline in births we've seen since 2007. And the researchers believe that the other two-thirds of the decline is... Um, because that generation is deciding they're not ready for marriage and kids. And the premise of the piece is that after other economic crises during U.S. histories, families have rebounded by having kids. But this generation, the one impacted by the Great Recession of 2007 and 2008, they're not. And I got to say, no kidding. It's harder than ever for women and families to get by these days. It's hard to find work, childcare, healthcare that you can afford. Um, you know, it it's it's a hard time to be raising kids economically and culturally. What I also think is real interesting is that these topics are part of our above the fold current events discussions these days because this time around these topics are topmost in the 2020 presidential campaign. And yeah, I know. We only just got over talking about 2016. Um, but it's happening again, and it's super important. And especially with so many women running, we're going to be talking about these issues. We're going to be reading about them. And I'm thrilled. This is how we change public opinion and public policy and the laws that make or break our ability to raise our families well and not go broke. So go on over to NPR and give these pieces you know, your full attention. They're really, really relevant and interesting. Okay, what else? Well, I have a guest this week that I'm really excited to talk to, but before we get there, let's take a quick sponsor break. First song, Botanicals, whose postpartum herb bath is perfect for soothing sore perineal muscles, slowing bleeding, minimizing swelling, and helping dry your newborn's umbilical cord, all while creating a relaxing and restoring bonding experience between mom and baby. As a labor nurse, I've recommended a good soak in the tub to thousands of women as the best way to soothe their oh-so-tender nether regions. Now, Birdsong Botanicals takes that soak to the next level. With ingredients like sea salt, and organic plantain leaf, yarrow, shepherd's purse, uva ursi, and calendula flowers, postpartum herb bath, is for external use only, but it's safe for you and your baby. So head on over to birthsongbotanicals.com, check out their postpartum herb bath, and Common Sense Pregnancy customers get a special 10% discount at checkout when they use the promo code sense. Okay, we're back, and we're ready to get this week's guest on the line. Now, A lot of the emails I receive are from women who have questions about how to feel normal again in their bodies and bellies and pelvises after giving birth. Um, You know, they have ligament pain and muscle aches, or they feel like their pelvis is misaligned, or their walking gait has changed, or their C-section scar feels weird in some way. They don't feel like they're getting the right information or much attention about how to recover from their traditional healthcare providers, and they want to know what else they can do. So that's what this week's guest is here to talk about. Isabel Spradlin is a licensed massage therapist, and she has helped her clients and other practitioners for well over a decade learn to overcome post-surgical abdominal distress, including bowel obstructions, scar-related numbness and pain, bloating, abdominal adhesions, and more. So let's get Isabel on the line. Hey, Isabel, it's Jeannie. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I didn't i didn't realize until I was doing my research on you that you live right here in my fair city, Portland, Oregon.
1: Portland, Oregon.
0: It's not raining at this very moment that we're talking. <laughs> it's not. And in fact, we had a little sunburst earlier, which was so exciting. I sat in it. I oh. got my cup of coffee and my computer and I planted my butt in the chair in the sun.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which side of town are you on? I'm
1: in Southeast Portland up by Mount Tabor.
0: Oh, I used to live down there. I'm in Northeast up in Irvington. Oh, great. Yeah, oh. we're we're practically neighbors. Practically neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Isabel, let's get going. My first question for everybody is, who are you and what do you do?
1: Oh, well, that's an excellent question to start with. Yeah. I am, so I am Isabel Spradlin, and my licensure is as a massage therapist, which throws Mm -hmm. people a little bit sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, because my work is so focused, and for the last over a decade of being in private practice, I have really focused on working with people after abdominal surgery. So in the beginning, that looked like any kind of abdominal surgery, and you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of information out there. And realistically, there's not much more now about abdominal adhesions, about the body's reaction to abdominal surgery. And a lot of people spend a lot of time in pain and digestive distress and all sorts of other abdominal distress after surgery, and even leading up to surgery, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for a long time, that was my almost sole focus. And Then in the last three years, my practice went through a baby boom. So I had a number of my clients who started having their first and second children, a couple of them through the whole huge lengthy process of IVF, a couple of them. Um, had vaginal births, a few of them had C-sections, a couple of them, you know, very sadly went through miscarriages, kind of the whole gamut. I just had this real intense experience starting to happen in my practice with moms. And just like happened over 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, when I first realized that these sort of people after abdominal surgery as a general thing, weren't being served at a high enough level. Um, I, I sort of really came into this understanding that moms after birth, um, any vaginal or cesarean births, um, but, you know, after birth, there's just a lot of kind of leaving moms hanging. And yeah. um, and so I really have been trying to step into this space more strongly and just be there for moms and support them, whatever kind of birth they have. But of course, with my training and my experience, I do tend to work more with moms who have been through cesarean sections.
0: Um, and you're seeing more and more of them, aren't you? I
1: am. Yeah. And yeah. They're just kind of coming yeah. in, which is yeah. great. That's yeah. great.
0: Yeah. Is that an indication of both, you know, rising C-section rates and people are, you know, hearing about the work you do?
1: Yeah. I think it is a combination. I mean, you know, honestly, our C-section rates in this country have been so high for so long now that um, I I have seen a little bit of like articles here and there that it's, Dropping mm-hmm. a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's already so high, as you know, and you yeah. talk about on your podcast frequently, which you I know. love. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but that rate is already so high, and even a small drop, you know, like it's good to have a small drop, but still, there's so many happening.
0: Yeah, I know, um, I know. And Portland does really well, you know, across yeah. the board. We do pretty well, and still, it's keeping your practice busy, huh? It is. Yeah, it cool. is. Cool. cool. Well. So you mentioned that you know before you had this baby boom in your or mom boom, in your practice, you were really interested in post-surgical abdominal issues, and I'm wondering why why that.
1: Well, it just came really organically out of the work that I was already doing with clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always, from from the time I went into massage school, I knew that I only wanted to work in sort of this broad category of injury recovery, Mm -hmm. just helping people get back into being active in their life or whatever it is in their life that's important to them, helping them be capable of doing that. And then um, in, in a, within about a year and a half, a chiropractor who really regularly referred to me and I referred to her, she sent me somebody who had been through surgery for abdominal adhesions. Um, And this person, she was getting ready to fly to Germany for her next surgery because in Europe, there are different regulations and they actually have some more advanced techniques there generally surgically Mm -hmm. than we do here in the States. Mm -hmm. And so as a last ditch effort to avoid having to go through that whole trip and another surgery, um, our shared chiropractor sent her to me and within four, six sessions, something like that, she was getting She was able to exercise again. She felt like she could return to work. The pain was so drastically reduced. And she said, Isabel, do you have any idea like what it is that you've done here? And I was like, well, I just did what I do everywhere else in the body, right? (laughs) um, Soft tissue work. And she was like, no, you need to research this because people are suffering from this diagnosis, this thing of abdominal adhesions. And she worked on me for three or four months before I finally was like, okay, I'm going to research it. And as soon as I started researching it, it was like a magnet for me. I just, I couldn't believe how much people were suffering um, from something that is so helpable. Um, and I couldn't believe how bad the information at that time on the internet was about even what adhesions are or how they act in the body or what helps them to resolve over the long Um, and so I just got real determined and I started my website and that was seven or eight years ago now and mm. I've never looked back.
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of a good place for us to, you know, transition into really talking more deeply about your work is kind of defining the terms of you yeah. know, what adhesions are and why they develop and why some people develop them and some don't. And let's talk about that. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start
1: with this question of why some people do and some people don't. Yeah. Or, you know, more to the point, why, you know, because there have been cadaver studies done over the years that show that like 90% of the human population ends up with some form of abdominal adhesion, which is like sticky tissue in the abdomen. What, what is the percentage? Um, oh, uh, something like 90%, close to 90% of humans end up with some sort of abdominal adhesion by the time they die.
0: Regardless of whether they have surgery?
1: Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, And it's just like it's to me. It's completely normal that that would be the percentage because think about when you work out Mm -hmm. and you get sore muscles, or maybe your shoulder gets a little bit stuck, Mm -hmm. or you have what we call a knot in a muscle. Okay. Um, All of these different soft tissue issues very often come with adhesion. So trigger points and adhesions are often very closely related. Um, It doesn't take a lot to create adhesion or stickiness in the tissues of the body. It takes a little bit of dehydration or sometimes chronic dehydration, Mm -hmm. takes repetitive stress or repetitive movement. Um, And of course, sort of like psycho-emotional stress can also really add into how the body responds to physical stimuli, of course. Um, But all of these things can create adhesion in various parts of our bodies. So over the years, it's become more and more normalized for people to get massage or see their physical therapist or see an acupuncturist. And in many of those situations, what's happening is they're releasing adhesion, either through hands-on work or through the stimulus of the needles with acupuncture or through microcurrent or through exercise and stretching. Um, And so it makes total sense to me that people show up just as a natural response to all the different things that happen in life uh, with adhesions in their bellies as well. But we are so much less educated about the idea that we can touch our bellies, that, that this is a safe place to engage with. Um, and so oftentimes that never gets worked on in the same way that shoulders or legs get worked on.
0: That's because we're ticklish. Because <laughs> it really tickles when you touch us there. That's our soft, vulnerable friend. Don't touch That's it. Right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So, you know, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And it's true. You know, I mean, as, as somebody who this is my job, I've come up with all of these different ways over the years to distract people from the ticklishness or, you know, that sense of vulnerability. And that's, it's so important. Yeah, I
0: mean, it is a vulnerable. It really is. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, we could, we could go down a rabbit hole there about your, yeah. how, how, you, how you do that. And, and I kind of want to go there. But um, sure. before we talk about how you um, massage bellies on ticklish people, I want <laughs> to talk a little bit more about adhesions themselves and why sure. they cause so much trouble for people. So, yeah, that's a great question. So, so let's kind of create a visual and, and I see them as like a web of thick, thickish scar tissue that creates around that creates itself around an injury. Would that be cre- a correct visual? Yeah, that's, that is half the answer. Okay. Absolutely. What's the other that's
1: half? A really <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's an accurate, very accurate half of the answer. Um, And it kind of comes back to, so the other half is that it is not always adhesion functionally, is not always an extra tissue in the body, Mm -hmm. sort of that web of tissue of varying thicknesses. Um, And this is really confused by the fact that in medical terminology, adhesion means scar tissue. Okay. Functionally, scar tissue can be very different from adhesion. So when we think about scar tissue, scar tissue is something that um, is, it's a discrete tissue in the body and it's meant to heal a wound. And we must have scar tissue. We must have the ability to heal wounds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really important tissue in the body. And We don't, once a scar has formed, we want to make sure that it's mobile, that it's able to interact in a healthy way with the other tissues around it, but we don't want to make that scar, quote unquote, go away. We need it there because it knit the tissues back together.
0: It's a good thing. It's our friend.
1: It's a good thing. Exactly. So then um, this is why I make the distinction between scar tissue and adhesion because adhesion can be functionally a whole other animal. And adhesion really functionally means tissues that are stuck to each other. Now, what does that mean? If you think about our body in layers, starting with the skin layer, and then we have that very thin sheet of fascia underneath the skin layer before we get to the muscle layer, And that superficial fascia is also where we house our adipose tissue and all sorts of other beautiful, wonderful things happen in that first layer of fascia. And then we have the muscle below that. And that's just the superficial muscle, muscle, right? Mm -hmm. So we have varying depths of muscle that overlay each other. And so you can start to imagine how if your skin gets stuck to the fascia and the fascia gets stuck to the muscle and maybe the top muscle gets stuck to the muscle that's below it, suddenly you start having quite a bit of restriction Mm -hmm. in a given Mm -hmm. area of your body. And that's not necessarily from, or it definitely most of the time is not from an incision of any kind. Um, So again, coming back to the repetitive stress, dehydration can set up this stickiness through the layers of the tissues in the body. Um, And so that kind of adhesion responds so beautifully we do want that kind of adhesion to go away Mm -hmm. so unlike scar tissue we don't want those those layers of tissue muscle fascia skin whatever it might be we don't want those staying stuck together because they restrict our range of motion they restrict our ability to move freely they restrict blood flow from coming into that area in a very fluid way Um, and so we do want to work that out and they cause pain
0: they cause pain yes yeah The the, the master motivator.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah.
0: Indeed. So
1: so when you think about adhesion in that way, um, it sort of all comes together to answer the question of why do adhesions cause problems for people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's because of the restriction primarily and the decreased blood flow, things like that. Scar tissue itself as an adhesion in the body can be super healthy. It can be very mobile. It can have as much blood flow as it's going to get. Those collagen fibers can be very well organized, things like that. Um, and then we have this other form of adhesion that's not necessarily the collagen fibers of, of scar tissue, but it's stickiness. And then coming back to your initial uh, sort of description of it, the that web of of tissue of the extra tissue that can grow and definitely does for some people. Why does that happen? Where does that come from? Why for some people and not others? Again, I think this comes back to it happens for more people than we realize it's just not symptomatic for a lot of people. Um, Or it's not symptomatic until something else happens that causes it to become symptomatic. So sometimes that's surgery, sometimes that's, um, a big event. Sometimes it's a trauma event. Sometimes it's just a very exciting event that, you know, like you run a marathon or things like that. You really stress out your body in a supposedly, you know, mm-hmm. an oftentimes very helpful way, very healthy way. Uh, but those stresses can all sort of activate. Maybe if there's sort of latent adhesion or adhesion there that hasn't previously caused problems, things have shifted now. Mm-hmm. So suddenly it's causing more problems. Mm-hmm. If it's that webby type of tissue of uh, adhesion, that's when you hear people coming out of surgery and their doctor, or their surgeon said, "Oh, you had these the scar tissue that I cut out, right?" Yeah. Um, that can go a lot of different ways. That can be helpful. That can be that, that that may be tissue you needed. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a it can sometimes really be structurally supportive. Yeah. Uh, So it's a complex issue and, and it scares people, right? Nobody wants to think that I have adhesion in my body or in my belly. Um, And definitely nobody wants to think, oh my goodness, I have adhesion in my belly because I had a cesarean birth or because, you know, even just going through the process, even if it's a vaginal birth, often that's a huge amount of work, like massive amount of work for the body. And that gets really undersold how much work that actually is. Yeah. So, That's so
0: much stress on you know yeah. soft tissue, a, a big old baby, a head pressing into the pelvis in uncomfortable ways, you know stretching yeah, this absolutely. and that, inflammation can occur because yes. a ligament gets tugged or you move the wrong way, and yeah, and all of in your body says, hey, let us help. We'll make it stronger. We're gonna we're exactly. gonna send you some some scar juice over there, and we're gonna toughen things up for you. We're helping. See. I mean that's a really simplified version of it but our body does try to do the right thing. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then add the stress of, you know, a a delivery or a surgery and now we're we're talking about people that might need a little bit of of extra help to recover. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean there are very few people I think that would think I'm going to run a marathon and then just go home and take care of my newborn baby and everything will be fine. Right. Like they'd want massage. They'd want to take care of their baby or I'm sorry, take care of their body Mm -hmm. in a way that we don't really think about that in the same way after something that is much more
0: profound than running a marathon for the body. I know. (laughs) Poor mamas. We don't get the love we need after the birth. We put a lot, a lot, a lot of focus on pregnancy, prenatal care, and the birth itself. And then it's like, okay, go home. We'll see you in a while. I hope you do well. Yeah. Yeah. We can do so much better.
1: Right. And like you alluded to, especially in Portland, you know, there's a huge midwi- midwife community mm-hmm. here in Portland mm-hmm. and they do wonderful things um, to support moms after birth. Mm-hmm. But still, even, and it's partly, you know, I mean, there's so many reasons for it. The medical model, the insurance companies, yada, yada. All the but things. N- all the things. Yeah. Uh, but generally, the care for the mom is sort of dropped at six weeks. Right. Um, and that is when So for me, I feel like that's when some of the most important healing actually begins, especially after birth, because at six weeks, you're just barely starting to come back together um, in all of these different ways, whether your birth was surgical or not. And, um, And at six weeks, that's when you can really start to support your body more and more to get better and longer term healing and not so many of the complications that 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 women go through after giving birth um, in whatever way their birth went. So I feel like that six week mark is, uh, I'm really working to try to educate people about like, actually, that's where it really starts. Like, I know that everybody said, you're healed, you're done, go forth and raise your child. Like, but now, like that six week mark, that's when your body is really starting to ask for extra help and extra, like, let's get this figured out.
0: So So I, I like to talk to people about, you know, creating their own safety net. During the postpartum mm-hmm. period, and you know, I I call that I that's a year. We're not talking about six weeks. Yes. We're talking about that year or longer for some women, and yeah. clearly, our medical insurance model isn't going to um, cover that safety net. And affordability is a huge, huge, huge factor for the majority of women who are having babies in the world. And yes. I think that women have to be super strategic about where they invest their healthcare dollars and yeah. sometimes the best way to invest those dollars is not by going to the obstetrician again at you know 6 months when your hip won't stop hurting or you know whatever it the best investment for your dollars sometimes is to go to the physical therapist or the massage therapist or the chiropractor or somebody else—they're the right. yeah, you know—that's that's something that we have to think about. What's what's your best it use is. for your medical dollar? That's right.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you know, I so often one of the things that I've um, kind of as I've been watching all of my clients, and of course my friends and family and stuff like that, all going through having their their babies and whatnot—is we put so much love and care and money into buying gifts for the newborn and helping the parents set up the nursery. And that's so important. I'm not saying that's not needed, but I also think we're not looking ahead far enough. And what I would like to see is a revolution in how we give gifts to expecting moms in terms of, um, helping like give gifts that are for after the baby is born. So maybe gifting a session or more at, uh, You know, somebody that knows how to support a mom after giving birth, somebody that that would be an out of pocket expense for them. Um, But really planning like far in advance and saying, you know, giving birth is not easy. And then having a baby to take care of right away, that makes it even harder. So let's like really think ahead and support not just the baby, but really the mom as well with these pre-birth gifts um, and things like that. And I think especially
0: for, you know, parents that are having their second or third child, you don't need a baby shower that's going to load you up with more stuff. You've already got stuff. You know, wouldn't it be, it would be revolutionary if we just changed the model for, you know, helping parents set people up with what they actually need. Not all the, you know, unnecessary bells and whistles that they're going to get. But then do like a, I don't know, a, a funding page or a funding campaign to just put money in there to help them cover the things they actually need to take care of themselves in the postpartum period. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so many of those things that do drop off after six weeks, you know. Um,
0: right. And right. And to- Although sometimes medical insurance will cover you, the work that you do, right? It will. However, because of
1: very many different reasons, I actually am not on any insurance panels. And so they Uh, could, I could certainly give them the super bill and then they submit it to their insurance to get reimbursed, but I don't directly accept insurance. Um, So, you know, there are all these different
0: considerations
1: in there and it it will. I
0: know there's so many restrictions on your practice once you do that. And then you have to go chasing dollars and you spend your administrative hours doing that instead of healing your patients. Yeah. 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 Is that it? it? Uh, That's the
1: large. Yeah. The restrictions on the practice. I I actually for about 10 minutes joined a panel when I was first in practice long enough to get their uh, policies book and realized not just the financial side of it, but actually the ways that they restrict my ability to refer to other practitioners mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I just said, absolutely not take me off. Um,
0: so complicated. It is so complicated, yeah. unfortunately. So complicated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I know. A little bit of I that know. practitioner side of things, but. Well, I know, but that is that is the thing. You know, it these complications that come with instruction, insurance restrictions and insurance interventions and insurance, you know, it's just so much more complicated than it really should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another rabbit hole. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Let's not rant about insurance today. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe some other day.
0: Well, I want to hear some of your success stories. Can you share some? Oh, yeah. So I love, oh my gosh, I
1: love my moms for coming in and, being willing to be vulnerable with me and tell me what's really worrying them. Um, mm-hmm. So of course there's the physical side of it, pubic bone pain. Oh my goodness. Um, the number, I would say fully 60 to 70% of the moms who come to see me after giving birth are just having terrible um, pain at their pubic bone, at the pubic symphysis there in the front where the mm-hmm. pubic bone kind of comes together. That ligament has been so stressed and all of that cartilage has been so stressed for nine months and, um, and then giving birth, of course. Uh, and so really helping moms to restabilize that and cycle out of that kind of, because it's pretty searing pain generally, that pubic bone pain. Um, and a lot of that can be done by supporting the musculature of the legs, helping moms realize like you just um, even if you had a cesarean birth, most of the time there was you were still probably in active labor for quite some time before that happened, unless it was a fully planned cesarean um, and so your muscles are got extremely fatigued, and now we need to help them kind of come back online in a way that they can support your whole pelvis. Um, and, and to do that at a pace that actually feels healing rather than like, come on, hurry up. Why, why isn't it going faster, right? And to create that yeah. space. So I would say, you know, I love being able to help moms with that sort of an, those initial pains of like the pubic bone pain, the diastasis, the rectus diastasis. Um, there's lots of panic around that because that separation through the fascia, that central tendon of the rectus abdominis and, and moms worry, like, will that never go back together? Will I never be able to engage my abdomen again? And of course you will, like, we just have to take our time and help the muscles come back online. Yeah. Um, And I think, for me, I have a lot of heart for moms who went through unexpected cesareans, especially on their first births. And then come in, and we're working. And there's this whole issue of I know I want to have another kid, and do I go for the VBAC? Do I try to have a vaginal birth after a cesarean or not? You know, do I plan the next Mm C-section? What's going to happen? And Mm -hmm. and going through the process of their recovery with them from their first birth or second. Sometimes moms have had multiple C-sections who are on my table, and just helping to support them in feeling connected enough to their own body to know that whatever decision they make about the next birth, that they're giving themselves already the resources to be able to recover from that and to be able to connect with their children after birth and and not feel like there's so much trauma involved. Um, So on the physical side, of course, it's really about, I love helping moms feel like, like the thing that I hear most often with the cesarean births is, Oh, I thought, I never thought my scar would actually sort of like look like the rest of my skin around it. Like, obviously there's mm-hmm. usually still a faint line there at least, but, um, but they'll say like, Oh, I, I didn't, I thought it would always be like a red raised bump, uh, that whole line mm-hmm. where the incision mm-hmm. was, or I just didn't know that the numbness would ever go away or that the pain would ever go away. Um, I had one mom who was an avid yogi, um, before her first child and then afterwards she just for about two years she couldn't do her back bends with the same flexibility that she had been able to beforehand and I I kept you know because not all of my moms want the belly work right away and that's totally understandable um but I finally you know
0: because we're (laughs) ticklish
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, But I finally nudged her often enough. And I just said, you know, let's, let's just give it a try and see if we can get some release through your scar and just see if that increases your range of motion. And sure enough, after just a couple of sessions working with her scar, she was back into her full back bends in yoga. And she just, she flat out said, I just didn't think that would was even possible. So helping people to (laughs) kind of get fully back is, is like where it's really at for me.
0: Okay, so how do you do it?
1: So so much of it is about helping to normalize the process of starting to engage with an area that has been through so much. And this happens with women who have been through vaginal births, but I see it most often with the cesarean scars is that they want nothing to do with it. It actually even thinking about touching it or having somebody else touch the scar literally brings up nausea it, it re- brings yeah. up a physical revulsion and that is a yeah. a so my first my first step is to normalize that of course that's your first reaction your nervous system is trying to protect the area it needed you to not bug it while it was healing so it could heal fully so it creates your nervous system creates this revulsion on purpose mm-hmm. that's normal mm-hmm. Um, And now that you're further along in the healing process, now we have to start to override that revulsion and just get used to the idea, just think about it. So the first step for any of your moms who are listening, no matter how long it's been since their birth, um, if their cesarean was 20 years ago or two weeks ago, um, one of the most helpful things you can do is just to imagine touching over your scar in a very gentle, loving way. And even just imagining it, you'll probably still initially get that revulsion. But as you practice with it, that revulsion will go away. The nausea will go away. Um, And so just practicing with it in your mind and then gently starting to just lay your hand over the area. Lots of moms like to talk to their scar. They'll say things, um, you know, like, oh, I'm so sorry. That was such a hard process. Or, you know, they'll just kind of process their emotional state as they lay their hand over their scar. Um, Or over their belly, if there is no scar from the birth. So that's really the starting place. And once I get moms to that place, then we can start really with like the physical mobilization of the tissues, of the scar, really working apart those tissues, making sure that everything is moving fluidly. Um, And then from there, you know, it's just sort of like this cascading effect of your body getting used to being touched there actually in a way sort of craving the touch and then once you start to experience like oh the scar isn't numb anymore or it's not painful between the scar and my belly button anymore or wow i'm not having so much like bloating in my belly or hardness in my belly once you start seeing those results then it's just you know it's like oh yeah get in there let's work this through so
0: <laughs> so when you get in there and work this through are you using massage techniques that people would be Familiar with if they have professional massages? Is it like that? It's very similar, yes.
1: And um, I don't want to make too big of a plug for it, but I do actually have training videos for at home self massage on my website um, if people want to. Oh,
0: good, good. So, yeah, because this is people are going to hear this all over the world.
1: Yeah.
0: So, great. So, let's, we're going to plug your website a little bit later, but since we're talking about it now, where exactly would people go for that? So, you can. If you just, the easiest way to
1: get there is to plug in healmybelly.com and that will take you to my website. It it redirects to abdominaladhesiontreatment.com, but that's too long. Yeah. Just go to healmybelly.com. Okay, good. And that's where all my programs live and I make everything to be safe. You know, like that's, I want people to feel safe in this process. Um, and so much of that is training our minds to realize, like, oh, it's safe just to lay my hand there, right? That is really okay. safe. Um, and then beyond that, every, everything that's more advanced than that, I really make to be safe and effective. So,
0: women are so, um, there's so much shame and vulnerability mm. around our post birth bellies. And, Oh, so many women, it's like they tell you the secret. They'll say, well, you know, I know everybody's got um, stretch marks, but I've got the baby pouch. Let me tell you. And they're talking about, you know, the flap of skin that falls over their tummy filled with, you know, it's skin and fat. And Mm -hmm. it becomes this little thing that most, not most, but maybe most, you'd know better than me. You've seen more bellies. Yeah. The baby pouch, the post baby pouch. Absolutely. And there's so much shame around it. There is.
1: And it's, yeah. I also, one of the things that I really, and I think it is a function of having worked with so many bellies over so many years, I've Mm -hmm. seen, I've seen every formation of belly, I think that you Mm -hmm. can. And to me, I think I have two. Yes, yes, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. you're a nurse, yeah. right? Or we're a nurse. Yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. And over time, for us practitioners, I think what I've, I, I just like it almost makes me cry how beautiful people's bodies are. Yeah. And I mean that. I'm not saying that is like a soothing thing for people. Like people just don't even realize how beautiful it is, whatever your body is or work looks like or mm-hmm. things like that. And so part of the safety is just um, recognizing like, yeah, your body is different, but you have done this amazing thing. You've produced Mm -hmm. a child. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's going to be different. Things are going to change. And, and we're just, we, culturally, we don't talk about it culturally. It is shame filled, like you said. And I just, if I have any encouragement for moms at all, it's that, oh my gosh, there's so much beauty there. And, and I do. I have some one of my clients who, I, even just last week, she said, "I don't even let my husband touch my belly. You're the only one that gets to touch my belly, Isabel." Yeah, <laughs> I, I get like, it. Oh, it's it's such an honor to do that. But also, I I want to encourage moms to create that relationship for themselves with their belly yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, make friends. Yeah, your belly is doing her very best for you. Think of the amazing things, you know. And if we don't allow our bodies. To adapt and change and accept them for what they become, then our bodies never get to do the good stuff. You know? Or if we just want to just miss out on it. Yeah. We do. We don't get to do the good stuff if we, you know, dedicate our life to keeping our body exactly the same. Yeah. Which nobody can do, anyways. No, that's an impossibility. It changes no matter what. So, (laughs) no matter what. So, use it. Use it, girl. Yeah. Use that body. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And if your tummy um, shows, the 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 signs of it afterwards well then you are among friends that's right that's absolutely right yeah let's normalize that belly
1: yes yes indeed
0: so we've talked a lot about what people can do to heal themselves but sometimes you need to see a professional Mm -hmm. and um so where would you start? Would you start directly with a licensed massage therapist who knows about this? Or would you go to your midwife or your OB or what would you do? You know, that's a great question. I would say
1: if, you know, if you're, we have sort of this range of symptoms, right? Some of which are like, go to the ER now, but you know what those are, extreme pain, things like that.
0: So so we'll just- Come down into the sort of Let's anything like common that. sense. Yeah, <laughs> right. if anything in your brain says maybe I need to go to the ER, well, then you don't need to be downloading looking for <laughs> self massage. And I trust that my listeners are really smart. Yeah, so they absolutely. got that one. They got.
1: that one. <laughs> they got that one. Yes, got that one. Absolutely. Um, beyond that, you know, I I think one of the most soothing things that people can do is just call their doctor and say, you know. I've been having this digestive pain or my belly hasn't stopped bloating since I had my baby or I just my belly feels hard to the touch. Is it okay for me to go to a massage therapist or to go to an acupuncturist? I have yet to hear of any doctor or, or you know nurse practitioner, whoever they're talking to that said no, right?
0: Everybody says, well, right. yeah, if you want to, go ahead. So if yeah. you need- They might also say, well, I don't know if it's going to work. They might add that on. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but, but you can just ignore
0: that part. <laughs> yes. Ignore that part because we're here to tell you sometimes it works better than anything else. That is absolutely right. That yeah. is absolutely right. So so a good time to really think about engaging with
1: um, either the self-care, learning to do it for yourself, or going to somebody who actually has training in this area or lots of experience. I mean, sometimes the training isn't always relevant, you know, but sometimes, sometimes it's very relevant. But, you know, somebody with experience, somebody with... Um, results with their clients, things like that. When is it a good time to go see them? Um, When you are kind of at your limit of like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I have been dealing with this belly bloating, this hardness. I am just done with it. That's a great time. Like take that really seriously. Or, you know, think ahead. Think how long do I want to have to be going through all of the things that my life requires of me? And have this on top of it, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And be kind of uncomfortable all the time, like in this low-grade way that I I'd never think to mention to my doctor because it's not like so bad that I even think about it when I go into the doctor, things like that. But I'm just sick of it. Like that's a great yeah. time to start looking for a practitioner or start learning to do this um, work on yourself. Um, you know, there are all sorts of telltale signs, changes in digestion. And oftentimes those those changes in digestion or urination – At first, they're off and on. It's not something that's just constantly a problem. It's like, oh, I had this little weird stabbing pain um, during my bowel movement. And then it went away and I forgot about it. But then it happened three days in a row, right? So Mm -hmm. not life-threatening, but not comfortable and something to pay attention to. Yeah, That's a great time. So these digestive changes are like I eat something and then as it's passing through, it just feels like my tummy doesn't feel good or it feels like it's getting stuck um, suddenly my urination has changed. I hear this a lot in terms of either I constantly feel urgency even when I don't have anything in my bladder, or I've stopped feeling any urgency at all. I can't tell when I have to go um, urinate. So changes like that, keep track of that. Those are great times to start looking into working with a practitioner or learning the self-care stuff. Um changes, any changes that don't seem to be really serving you, those are great times to really be thinking about that.
0: We, I want to cover real quickly yeah. before we wrap up today, you know, a little bit about diet mm-hmm. and healing. What do you got for us? Diet and healing.
1: So my biggest thing about diet and healing is it's very individual. And so a lot of people will come in and say, you know, I'm f- <sighs> Semi, unfortunately. A lot of people come in and say, I haven't lost the baby weight yet. And so I tried this diet that my friend tried, and, or, you know, for it's different for everybody. I tried paleo, I tried anti inflammatory, I tried the whole 30, I tried this, I tried that. It worked for my friend, but I haven't lost a pound, right? So um, it's, I wanted to encourage everybody to think about this in terms of basic health line, uh, baseline healthy foods. So whole foods definitely. And an experiment with your own body. What works for your friends or what your practitioner recommended won't always work for you because our body chemistries are all so different. Our genetics yeah. are so different. So, experiment with yourself, be patient with yourself, eat the foods that literally create a sense of well being in your body. And if for you that means you never eat another tomato, like me, yeah. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> then that's that's part of your diet going forward. Yeah. Some people are super sensitive to certain things like gluten and other people are not sensitive at all. So it's 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 one of the hardest parts of of the healing process is to figure out which foods are going to help you most, but I I love to just encourage people to experiment. Go slow and be easy on yourself with this. It takes some time to figure out the diet piece,
0: especially if you are in the um, postpartum period, the postpartum year, because you are healing. So, your yes. diet, you need the proteins, you need the carbs, you need everything. Yes. You need the fats, you need the hydration. You need, and if you're breastfeeding, you need about 500 calories more per day than even when you were pregnant. Yes. But it should be good calories. It should be, you know, an egg, right. an orange, and a glass of milk, or it should be. You know, tofu and rice. It shouldn't be two Snickers and a cherry pie. <laughs>
1: that's right. As much as your brain may be screaming, that's what it should <laughs> be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you did say
0: that <laughs> they should eat what they didn't. You just say that. Yeah. Well, I yeah things <laughs> that a real it, sense said, of well being. So back to common sense. Back to common sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it's, I, it is worth noting things that make you feel good for the moment are very often not the same things that create a sense of well-being throughout your day.
0: So right. trying to track that difference is, right. is important. That pesky balance between comfort oh. food and health food. That's right. Uh, pesky. <laughs> pesky. Okay. I got a few more questions for you and then we're going to wrap it up. But this All is right. one that I'm tossing in here and I bet you're going to have fun with it. What role does feminism play in your life and your career?
1: Oh, what a beautiful question.
0: I like it. Hmm.
1: What role does feminism play in my life and my career? well i I grew up with a very empowered mom who just like wasn't afraid to take on anything and anybody at any time for any reason. <laughs> so, yeah, mama. So that has been a guiding principle throughout my life is just kind of that fearlessness that sort of, or even if you are afraid that you just kind of like, work through the fear and do what needs to be done. Um, yeah. Do so it anyway. I'm, do it anyway. Yeah. So on that level, I think it's important. But I also think that as a practitioner, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that I think of as a super political thing, although in action, it is super political, which is to take what women say about their own bodies super seriously, and to believe yeah. them. When yeah. one of my clients says something about their body, I just believe them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a little bit of work to say, you know, what that doesn't make clinical sense, but that doesn't mean it's wrong, mm-hmm. right? So as a mm-hmm. practitioner, um, if I hear a mom say something that I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's you know really the causal relationship there, but that doesn't matter. Like I just believe what they're saying, and we work from there. So I think in that sense, that, that, uh, sort of that piece of what it means to live in a feminist way, I guess is really deeply important to me in terms of taking that seriously.
0: That's a good answer. Okay. (laughs) How do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that moms were being so
1: underserved after giving birth. Um, I think it's kind of a silent spot in our culture because, you know, moms are kind of hopefully at least for a little while nestled at home with the babies. And it's a very private time often, um, you know, filled with family and friends potentially, but it's not a really public thing in those first weeks after giving birth. And I, I think nobody ever told me how isolating that can be. Um, so often I'll have my especially new moms come in or even moms with two or three kids come in and say oh my god I'm so glad to be here Isabel this will be like the first full hour I've spent with just an adult in all week like this is my only chance this week to just be with Give it to me (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah just sort of like Uh, I, I think I didn't, I, nobody ever told me, and I certainly didn't understand until this last like three years or so, how, how isolating that can be and how much I want to contribute to helping that be a little less isolated for moms.
0: Okay. Then this last question, answer any way you want. Where are you in the world of motherhood? So it's very
1: interesting to me. I think one of the reasons I've been doing the abdominal work for so long, but it never occurred to me to work with moms postpartum, largely because I am not a mom myself. And I I don't want to be I've never wanted to be a mom. And so I just kind of like wrote myself out of that community. Because I wasn't one of that community. And so I didn't know that I had a place. Where I am now is realizing that that's that's a beautiful place to be because I have so much to offer resource wise, energy wise. Mm -hmm. I, um, I love moms. I love working with moms and I love babies too. You know, just some people assume because I don't want kids that I don't like them. I love kids of course, but, but I, I feel so much um, desire to support moms, to create a safe place for moms, to be a resource for moms. So I think that's where I am.
0: You know, some of the strongest advocates that I know in the birth community, in the birth world, are women who don't have children.
1: How interesting.
0: Yeah. And I've I've heard women talk about this from a lot of different angles. And one that I think is really interesting, or something that I've been sort of mulling over, is that once you have a child your physical autonomy and your focus on your own physical well-being is no longer a priority because yeah. you now are you really got to focus on the baby yeah. you know and then for the forever after it's right it it can become really easy to just kind of it's not about you anymore you know and and i think that i don't know if this is true or not cuz i've got I've got kids, but I think that for women, perhaps who don't have children, they don't lose that sense of, of body autonomy, at least not in the same way. And so, you know, your body is always whole. It's always for you. And that is something that you can exemplify and mentor and teach, um, to women who have let their body they've handed it over you know does wow, that make that, sense
1: that makes so much sense and that is so interesting and i am going to think about that a lot i yeah. that kind of <laughs> gave me goosebumps as you were saying that and i think i think it speaks to the diversity of womanhood mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and you know kind of coming back to that question of feminism like womanhood doesn't look just one way and just because i'm not you or i don't have your experiences doesn't mm-hmm. mean that i can't support you and be with you in that and yeah. understand parts of that you know like I, I of course will never understand what it means entirely to be a mom but I can certainly identify the places where it really seems like you could use some more support and I'm there for that yeah. you know and yeah
0: and I love that idea thank you so much for sharing that that's yeah. really beautiful well it's something I've been thinking about because you know more I I know so many midwives who don't have children I know so many labor and delivery nurses who don't have children and they're in it. They are on their job. This is their mission. And the mission is huge. When you are supporting moms, what you are doing is you are supporting the next generation of humans that are going to live on this planet. Because those moms are going to go out in the world and they're going to raise these children and they're going to create, you know, what they are here to create in the world besides little ones you know cuz everybody does it's nobody's job just to reproduce that's a side project in some ways we're all here to do our thing and you know it's important you got to have your you got to have your support from from everyone it's an important important job that we all have to chime in on wherever we are beautiful and that's the global that's the global uh perspective of it we're all in this together one world yeah yeah Yeah. Well, Isabel, I've had a really good time talking to you. It's been great. I agree. Thank you so much. So before we let you off the line, let's um, make sure that our listeners know what you've got coming up down the pipelines and where they can find more information about you. So what do you got coming up? What are you working on?
1: Cool. Well, for the last about five years, actually, I have been working on putting together a book all about abdominal recovery, you know, primarily – uh, any kind of abdominal stress, but of course, of course, because I work so much in the post-surgical realm, it's a lot about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is coming up in February, finally. And actually, the last piece of it is that I have been adding in a chapter specifically about um, for moms. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the last piece going into it. And as soon as that's done, it's going to be up and available over on my website, like I said earlier. Um, Great. The easiest way to get there is healmybelly.com. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I also have my programs on my website to learn how to do all, um, of the sort of self-care stuff, things like that, informational resources, interviews with other practitioners. It's all over there.
0: So at healmybelly.com, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Well, this is fun. I bet you and I are going to talk again down the road. I would love that. Yeah, because once you've got that thing up on your website, maybe we'll talk again. We'll give it another big plug. Cool. You know? Well yeah. thanks, Jenny. All right, cool. Well we'll talk to you later and we'll see you around town, huh? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye.
1: Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said, Mama said,
0: Mama said, That's it for this week, folks. Thanks again to our sponsor Bursong Song Botanicals for helping us keep the lights on here at Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. Check out their postpartum herb bath over at burstsongbotanicals.com, and don't forget to use the promo code Common Sense at checkout for your ten percent discount. Our guest this week was Isabel Spradlin, and you can learn more about her at isabelspradlin.com. You can learn more about me at Faulkner.com. Yeah, I'll spell it J-E-A-N-N-E. F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. Tweet me, at Gene Faulkner. Find Common Sense Pregnancy on Instagram. Email your questions and ideas to Gene Jean at genefaulkner.com. And please, go buy a copy of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, wherever books are sold. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Picture Studios. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll talk again next week. The Dad Experience, a pod network podcast, is a place where new dads, seasoned dads, and even grandfathers can come together and share our victories and some of those parent fails too. In each episode, your hosts, Mike and Adam, open up about their own dad life, discuss important topics, and bring on dads from all walks of life to share their perspective on fatherhood. Because let's face it, we don't always have the answers or solutions. You can find the Dad Experience on the Apple Podcast app, the pod network app and the google play store we also want to hear from you so join the conversation and share an experience with us on twitter at daddy podcast or on the dad experience facebook page and help us navigate through all things we call fatherhood